Coaches, we're back with the Pound the Rock podcast with Coach Eric Littleton. We're going to talk a little bit about his coaching philosophy. We just got done talking about his coaching tree and the influence those coaches had on him. So, Coach, why don't you just talk a little bit about your coaching philosophy and maybe how it's changed from Edmond North uh, until, until now? Uh, it's been it's been a fun evolution for me because uh, I'll steal a line from one of our uh, one of my friends. Uh, who still coaches out uh, in, in the high schools in North Carolina, who is a manager of North Carolina named Steve Reynolds. Uh, just as a sidebar, Steve's had three or four generations of family members who served as managers at UNC. So it's always <laughs> fun to see the next Reynolds come through there. I don't know how many uncles and aunts and uh, parents and grandparents he had worked for the Carolina program. But anyway, Steve, about four or five years ago, said that about 80% of all the things he does, he borrows from Dean Smith. Uh, the other 20% he stole. <laughs> uh, I, I, I suspect that's what I would say. I'm a Tar Heel through and through. We we run the old Carolina secondary break uh, that that gets us right into to a passing game offense and uh, high, the high low passing game offense. You'll see Bill Self at Kansas run that a lot. You know, Coach Self worked for Coach Brown, Larry Brown at Kansas back in the late '80s, and Coach Brown, of course, played for Coach Smith. And right. so you'll see that uh, uh, through other through other parts of the country with other college and high school coaches. For years, <clears throat> I ran the, the run and jump defense. Uh, you match up man to man, and then you try to trap the speed dribble or the spin dribble. Uh, however, when I came to Flower Mound, early on we tried doing that, and uh, our personnel just wasn't conducive to that. And so, after 20 years of coaching run and jump defense and really getting out there and trying to deny passing lanes and take the ball from you and bounce it off the glass and transition. Uh, I recognized that I had to do something different. And so we put in that old North Carolina point zone defense. It's just a matchup, a matchup zone. It looks a little bit like a switching man-to-man. And I discovered really quickly that this was a perfect defense for Flower Mound High School because our kids are so smart. Right. They picked, it up really, they picked it up really quickly. And the other thing that I'm really proud of is that my uh, head assistant coach, Matt Wright, who is a, a, a really good basketball mind as well, picked up this defense really fast, and he's really become my defensive coordinator. Uh, and our whole staff has bought into to point zone, um, and it, 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 it bothers people. You know, you have to really spend time preparing for it, and our kids know that it's an effective defense. It's something that other people don't see regularly, and uh, makes you do something that you're not used to doing, Brian. And so I, I think a lot of our success has come from the fact that uh, we've been running this matchup zone defense, and the other thing that it allows you to do is uh, you can trap people out of that. You can run and jump people out of that. You can trap the speed dribble or the spin dribble if you extend it to the full court. And by the way, last year we did a little bit of that, and we held our opponents last year to 37% field goal shooting on the season, which uh, which is not bad, is it? No, that's that's outstanding. Now, let me ask you real quick, because I've never uh, been a, a, a zone coach primarily when you implement that, do you implement it at the uh, at the freshman level or at the junior high level? How do you guys implement that defense? Is that just a varsity thing? Go ahead and talk a little bit about how you yeah. incorporate that defense into your program. Well, we're tr- we've, we've, been, we've worked really hard at trying to get our middle school guys to play just a, what, what you're very well familiar with as a pack line defense. You know, you work with Coach Henderson there, Marcus, and their great run. And uh, the pack line defense is a really popular defense across the country now. Uh, we try to do a lot of that with our freshman kids and our feeder school kids. We don't introduce point zone until they hit the JV. Gotcha. And uh, because because there are so many 
manned principles involved in Point Zone, that we want our kids to get the foundation of manned principles in middle school and in the freshman program. And then when they hit JV, they run about 50% man and about 50% point zone. And by the time you get up to the to the varsity, you're going to be running point zone pretty much the entire time. Uh, in the last five years, uh, we've ran point zone about 99% of the time. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and of course, you can make some adjustments with that. You can trap out of that. You can push people in certain directions with it. Uh, but we uh, we just concluded that uh, that was going to be our baseline defense, and we've had a lot of success with that over the last five years. Yeah, that's great. You know, one thing that's the hardest thing to do as a coach is to, uh, especially in the type of district that you're in, you're, you're playing all these teams, yes. and then you hit Flower Mound, and you have a whole different, you know, uh, game plan. You have a whole different process to trying to win that game. Something that I can relate to here out in West Texas, our football team still runs the Veer. And so okay. you play all these spread teams, and then you're playing us. Right. We're going to throw it maybe four times a game, and we're just going to run the, the Veer triple option. And so you have to, everybody stops in their tracks to get ready for a whole different opponent. And so that's kind of the – Exactly. Your point zone is almost like the Veer for, for football. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about – just player relations. I think you're probably one of the best coaches in the state at uh, not just involving the parents and communicating with them, but communicating effect- effectively to your players. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you communicate so effectively with your players, how you use social media, how you uh, kind of get everybody involved into the family at uh, Flower Mound. Well, well, I appreciate you acknowledging that. I, I, I really do believe that the heart and soul of our success, and we've had uh, by the way, the best five-year run in school history. We posted three 21 seasons. We posted the two best records in school history with 26 wins and 25 wins uh, in the last five years, and have had back-to-back 21 seasons for the first time in school history. So we're we're proud of our success. But having said that, I believe the success is because of the relationships and the culture we've created. Uh, I tell our, our, our I told our assistant coaches from the outset that every program, every business, every family. Uh, every organization has a narrative, and somebody is controlling that narrative. And uh, if you're not controlling the narrative, somebody else is. And so I, uh, I've always been really, uh, uh, really big on controlling the narrative, controlling the the message that's le- that's coming out from your program about being proactive. And so uh, we continue a tradition that Coach Smith at North Carolina have. I've been doing this for 25 years now, if you can believe it. <laughs> we have a thought of the day. We have a thought of the day every single day. And back in the old days, before the advent of technology, uh, uh, the advent of uh, social media, you just we just posted the thought of the day on the bulletin board outside the locker room. Today, however, I post the thought of the day on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, we have all of our feeder school kids following that. We have their parents following that. And the thought of the day is something that's just inspirational about it, uh, something that's a life lesson, something that they can hang their hat on that uh, maybe will stick when they leave our program. But, but we want everybody to memorize the thought of the day. And then when practice begins, we meet at midcourt, and uh, we, we talk about the upcoming practice, but I'll always ask three things at the beginning of practice. Number one, what is the thought of the day? Then I'll call on somebody, and they have to be able to quote the thought of the day. If they don't, we do do, do three push-ups, no big deal. Right. Uh, and then I ask uh, the offensive emphasis of the day and the defensive emphasis of the day. Uh, that's where we begin is that thought of the day. But then I, I, uh, I blog. I, um, 
a video blog. I think they call it vlog with a V now, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I like I like to I, I like to catch our kids uh, getting it right. You know, I think social media is just littered with a bunch of nonsense, a bunch of negativity, a bunch of people out there complaining. We see it in religious circles. We see it in political circles. We see it in educational circles. And uh, once again, this is not how I'm wired. Uh, uh, I grew up in a real positive, faith-filled family. I had a chance to work for Dean Smith, who was a man of deep faith, and I was a very positive coach. Uh, felt the same way about Jim Platt at Arkansas Little Rock, and uh, and I played for a guy that was a positive coach. And so I uh, I believe uh, I believe that we become what we say. You know, Proverbs says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Yep. And I think that if we believe what the Bible says, that the power of life and death is in the tongue, uh, we're going to be speaking life over every situation, or we're going to be speaking death over every situation. And so uh, I just choose as often as possible to speak life, to try to be positive, to try to be encouraging. Even in the, the worst situations, I often get quiet, because I don't want to do or say anything that might speak or uh, death over a situation. Yeah. Well, that makes a profound impact on your players as well because they know that uh, you're going to be able to build their confidence up. You know, the days of, of tearing a player down to build him back up are done with, I think, in my opinion. That, that, you know, that's a, that's a big, that was a big deal with uh, a lot of college coaches. We've got to tear this kid down yeah. to build him back up. We can't do that anymore. I think building him up and then showing them the right way at the same time is, is key. And I, like I said, I think you're one of the best at it. And for a guy who is, like you said, coming to the towards the end of your career, you use social media and technology better than a lot of young coaches. And so I think that's there's something to be said for that, that you've done a great job of adapting and uh, using the, the tools that you have to create the, the culture that you want. <laughs> nice of you to say, and, and, and I, I just want to reiterate, too, that uh, I was always shocked at North Carolina uh, uh, about, about Coach Smith. You know, Coach Smith never cursed uh, Roy Williams, Coach Williams. Uh, I, I've never been in a Roy Williams practice since he's been as, as a head coach, but they say he doesn't curse. Uh, coach Smith at UNC uh, just would not berate the players. He'd get on the guys, he'd blow his whistle, he'd hold them accountable. But there was never a point at which he humiliated a guy. There was never a point at which he degraded a player. And, uh, and so I, I, uh, uh, I learned at a real young age from, my, in my opinion, the best ever, that you can be successful uh, and still be positive. That doesn't mean there's an absence of accountability. That That's right. That you do it a different way. We're, we're, demanding, and, uh, we're uh, demanding without being degrading. That's it. I like that. That, that, that works for me. And so we, we try real hard to do that. And I think the result of that is that we do build great relationships with our players. The kids and their families know that we love them. Our players know we adore them. And every single day, every single day, we're hugging the guys. We're talking to the guys. We're loving on the guys. We're laughing with the guys. And uh, we do that on purpose because we do want them to understand that we care deeply about them. And then when they graduate and move on, we remain in touch, and that's equally important to me is to honor the guys who've gone before. And uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is my relationship with players from Flower Mound High School that I never even coached. And these are guys who play for Charles Freep, who was at Flower Mound High School for 12 years, who was a fantastic coach and is a good friend of mine. And uh, I've intentionally worked hard at reaching out to these players that played at Flower Mound High School before I arrived 
to build these bridges and to build these relationships because uh, we want to continue building that culture. That's great. La- last two questions regarding your, your program. The, the first one is you have a, a good, unique approach to basketball camps for a big school. And then, so go ahead and talk a little bit about that, and then also how you uh, incorporate your your middle schools. I think one of the hardest things when you're at a big school is to build those those ties with the with the with the feeders. And so go ahead and talk a little bit about those two things uh, to finish up the podcast here. Okay, I I think that's been a, a huge part of our success is we uh, we began uh, a program called the Flower Mound Pride. And very simply, it is just a feeder school select program for Flower Mound basketball kids. And so uh, uh, right when we arrived, we started a uh, – uh, we just went out and uh, – we had our uh, summer camps, and we announced to all of our campers, hey, we're going to be having this this elite – not even elite, just a select team. My high school coach, Coach Stidham, who's a Hall of Famer, by the way, an Oklahoma high school coaching Hall of Famer, uh, coaches started coaching these kids in select basketball, and we take them to all these little tournaments around the DFW area, uh, the prime time tournaments, and uh, uh, there are all kinds of tournaments out there. I forget what they all are, but uh, but they're getting. Uh, uh, we're renting our gym at the high school, and so they come in and practice. Uh, Coach Didham is providing instruction, and uh, five years later, we have uh, a ninth grade select team, an eighth grade select team, a seventh grade select team, a sixth, a fifth, and a fourth grade select team, all of them being coached by friends of mine who buy into our system and our philosophy, uh, where our parents are getting plugged into the program at an early age and they're uh, receiving great instruction uh, for great value, getting exposed to great competition, understanding that we're looking at the long game, not trying just to win at all costs when they're a bunch of fifth and sixth graders. And uh, this pride program has been a huge success for us. So now when our kids come into our gym, they have an understanding, and the parents have an understanding of what we're trying to get accomplished. And so I'm really excited about that. Speaking of which, we uh, uh, will be meeting in early September for our, our first Pride meeting of, uh, of this upcoming year. And so, uh, uh, and we have uh, quite a few. I don't know how many kids we have involved in the Pride program now, uh, Brian, but uh, a lot of our feeder school kids are, are playing uh, for my guys, running my system, doing my stuff, yeah. with me overseeing that and providing input. Uh, and uh, uh, it's been a huge success, and so so we're proud of that program and, and the uh, uh, the legacy that it's leaving. That is that is great, and and uh, you know the way that you do things, it's so organized, but it's simple. You know, it's not like you're stretching yes. yourself too thin. And I think that's the hardest thing. You know, just just talking as a younger coach, I want to do all those things you're doing, the type of things you're doing. But we tend to stretch ourselves so thin. We try to do so much at one time where none of it's going to be successful. So you found success in simplicity and doing what works for you. And if it doesn't work for you, then it's clutter and you don't worry about it. You're not trying to mess with stuff that's not going to work. And I think that's simple and sound. And uh, and that's that's what makes it so good. Well, I agree with that, and I think the thing that I've been blessed by is is uh, uh, I have great guys around me. You know, I mentioned Coach Wright, my varsity assistant earlier. Uh, coach Merrick is my JV coach, a fantastic, fantastic basketball mind and basketball uh, coach, and, and and great with the kids. Uh, I've got my high school coach, uh, Coach Stidham, who hangs out around uh, Flower Mound and helps us out. And so uh, I, I probably delegate an awful lot, uh, but I delegate knowing that the people that are around me are going to do a real good job. 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm not uh, back back in back in my early days. I was a 24/7 guy, and uh, after my children arrived, uh, uh, I stepped away from college coaching and uh, knew that college. And I know you did too, by the way, Brian. You had a chance to uh, spend some time in some pretty cool places in college basketball, and you made a choice. And so I had to make a choice too, and right. I just decided that I wasn't going to be the guy that was in the gym all the time while his kids were growing up. And right. So, uh, uh, I'm pr- I'm pretty good about locking the gym and turning the lights off and going home to my family, uh, and I think that and I think that that speaks to my team as well. I think that speaks to my players. They understand that my family is real important, but I think you do that by by hiring good people, right? And Absolutely. Surrounding yourself with good people and then delegating and letting them letting them do what they do. Well, I'm hoping after this podcast, there's coaches that are going to want to talk to you and call you, but they can't do that after 8 p.m. Is that correct? They can, but they won't reach me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I tell people all the time, I uh, I actually, uh, when I leave the gym at night, it's usually, you know, 5 or 5.30 during the season. I don't stay up there real late. I'll do a little bit of film work at home, but but I turn my cell phone off. Uh, when I walk into my house, uh, it, it's very rare that you can reach me once I get home. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I'm real good about returning calls and emails at work. But once I leave and get in my car, I return a lot of phone calls in my car on the drive home. It's about a 15 or 20-minute ride home. Yeah. Uh, so I return as many calls as I can on the way, the way home. But when I pull into my driveway, uh, I do turn my phone off and uh, try to give all my attention to to my family. And uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll plug, a, I'll, I'll make a, a shameless plug for a book I just wrote called Solomon's Gift. I think you know Brian, the story of my son Solomon. Yes, sir. And the battle he he's he's currently in, but has is winning. Uh, with a, a rare neurological disease. Uh, when he contracted that disease back in 2009, that changed our family in, in ways unimaginable as well. And so we wrote a book sharing Solomon's story uh, and the lessons we learned from from that. And part of that is that life, uh, there are no guarantees in life, and you have to make choices. Yeah. And uh, and so I hope that the, if anything else I can give the young guys is coach hard and love your players and love your family even more. Go ahead and talk a little bit about how we can get uh, Solomon's gift. I saw it on Twitter. Uh, you posted a picture of the cover. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and talk about the the way that a coach could could get that, or, or how you how we can order that. Oh well, thanks for asking. Thanks for asking. It's on Amazon right now. Just just get Google Solomon's gift uh, by me, Eric Littleton. It was published by Hideaway Publishing. Uh, there's also a website out there called Solomon'sGift.com. And the, the other thing, Brian, that I've really enjoyed, uh, it, it was a tragedy. The story of our son is a victory, but uh, uh, it was a tragedy that we had to find a way to turn into a victory. And uh, God moved in unique ways in that experience. It did mold my family and my life in unique ways. Uh, but one of the things that I value the most now is being able to go and speak to the group. I'm sharing Solomon's story and the lessons my family learned from that story. And... Uh, 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 so if anybody's looking for a speaker, uh, <laughs> I like to go and tell his story and the yeah. lessons we learned from that. So Solomon'sGift.com or just on Amazon, you can go to look up Solomon's Gift and, and order the book. 